0: Good morning, everybody. Um, If you would, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9 as we continue to worship the Lord uh, this morning through the reading of His Word and the preaching of the Gospel. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, pray with me as we get started. Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you that you are a good and holy God. Lord, that you are gracious, that you are merciful, that you are loving. Uh, God, that you um, pour out your grace and mercy to your people, Lord, ultimately through Christ Jesus. And God, I pray that this morning you would posture our hearts, uh, that you would humble us, God, that you would open our minds to understand your scriptures, and God, that you would open our hearts to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin, and God, assure us of the pardon that is ours in Jesus uh, by your grace. So, God, we give you this time, and pray you use it for your glory, for our joy, and that the gospel would advance to the nations. We ask in Christ Jesus' good and holy name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today, to go in to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their lands, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to, the wrath, to his wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Even at Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. And at the end of 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly, and they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and they have made themselves a metal image. This is God's word. Friends, it is the default mode of the human heart to live in pride. And to miss out on the joy of living in God's promises. Our pride leads to destruction, but God's promise leads to life. We tend to live in pride and miss out living in the promises of God as the people of God. And this is the human condition. But the good news is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, causes us to die to our pride so that we may live in the joy of the promises of God. And we see that in the scriptures today, in this story, in Deuteronomy, we see that God had done amazing things to free his people from bondage in Egypt. They were enslaved enslaved in Egypt for generations, um, surrounded by a culture that was contrary to what God had for his people. And so out of his grace and his mercy, he freed them from that bondage, so that they may go to a land that he had promised for them a land where they could thrive in their identity and community as God's people, where they could go and worship and grow uh, to become the people that God wanted them to be. But along the way, if you know the story in Exodus, along the way they they had a journey for a couple of decades, and during that season of of, uh, the story they uh, faced times of rebellion, of sin, of doubt. There were times where God's people said, we'd rather go back to Egypt, it'd be better to be enslaved, at least there we have a good meal to eat at night. There were times where they uh, would choose to worship idols and doubt God's promises for them. And we see uh, in this instance, as we've seen in the previous chapters, in chapter 8, where Moses is commanding God's people, hey, don't forget God. Don't forget who he is and what he's done for you. Don't be distracted by your circumstances around, but rather look to who God is and what he's doing for you out of his grace. Look at who you're becoming because he is a good God who is shaping you to be his people. And we move into chapter 9 and we see that as is, is Moses is saying, hey, everybody, we're, we're going to cross the Jordan. We're going to go in to the land that God has promised us. There are wicked people there. We're going to drive them out. But we cannot think we're doing this because we're so righteous. We cannot think that we're getting this land because of our own goodness. We cannot think that we are going to defeat these people because we are all that and a bag of chips. But rather, we need to look to the Lord and see what his goodness is today. So what I want us to do in this story is see how this uh, reveals kind of the universal human condition, right? The the condition of every human heart to be that of pride. And then to see how pride always leads to destruction and missing out on living in the joy of God's promises. And I want us to see how Christ Jesus reorients our hearts to see God's promises and live uh, joyfully as his people. All right, so let's look at pride first. Pride is always a fun topic. You see, numerous times in the first uh, couple of verses here, uh, Moses is reminding the people numerous times to beware of thinking that they are getting rewarded for their righteousness. Do you see that? It says, my righteousness, numerous times, verse 3 or verse 4. Do not say in your heart... It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land. Verse 5, not because of your righteousness or the upright of your heart. Uh, verse 6, he's not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. You are a stubborn people. You see, how easy would it have been? I mean, we could look at this story and think, okay, how easy would it be to be an Israelite? Right? You've been in bondage for a couple of generations. And God does this miraculous thing to set your people free. And as you're going into this land thinking, well, of course we're going to get this land. I mean, we're Israel, right? I mean, we we are God's holy people. We're living rightly. We're living holy. We're not like these other cultures, these other nations. We're not like Egypt. Well, of course God's going to give us this land. Moses has to remind them numerous times, it is not your righteousness that is getting you this great reward. It is not your righteousness. And I think I was reading that this week. It's I think it's easy for us as Christians to fall into the same trap, to say, well, of course God's going to you know bless my work or bless my family or of course our church is going to thrive because you know we're righteous, right? We're doing right. Of course God's going to honor that and, and give us this great reward. But I love how Scripture reveals the human condition for thousands of years here, and it is not our righteousness but God's goodness. It is God's plan, God's purpose i think it's great here to see that they were going to this it wasn't just this empty field i mean there were you know i don't know what your translation says but uh, in verse two it says a people great and tall the sons of anakim right i mean sometimes we, we we talk well who is that are these are these like literal giants are these literally literally huge you know people They were a mighty people there were a huge established culture with warriors and it's, it's great that God is showing them that there's no way they could overcome that people without an act of God. And that's why God does it, I think, <laughs> is to say, hey, look, you're not going to go in and take over this land. You're going to go into a land where there are people who are established. They are mightier than you. They have bigger, better armies, bigger, bigger, better cities established. There's no way that you can take them over, no matter how good and righteous and awesome you think you are. It takes an act of God to do that. So I want us to look at that today. What is the condition of your heart? Have you ever stumbled to think that, wow, I am doing well in my life because I am righteous? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever thought that? That, hey, you know, I'm living right, so that's why things are going well for me? Verse 6, know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Don't you love that? Don't you love how Moses lifts you up? Hey, Israel, we're going into a new land. You're stubborn. I love how Moses tells it like it is. He is revealing that, hey, even as we go, it is the grace of God that is giving this land to you. So beware of your pride to think that it is your righteousness. But hey, by the way, you are stubborn. That word literally means stiff-necked. It's like if you've ever ridden a horse or tried to lead an animal if you've ever been on a farm or if you've ever had an animal that you're trying to lead somewhere and you know that they don't want to go the way you want to go. I'm terrified of, of horses. I had a bad experience as a teenager on a horse and just have had a hard time riding a horse since. But if you've ever ridden a horse and, and had a stubborn one, you're like, hey, go this way. And it's like, no, I'm going this way. That's the image that we see here is that, is that God is saying, hey, you were a stiff necked people. You were stubborn. You were determined to go. This way, even though the Lord is saying, go that way, you are stubborn and stiff-necked. And so what we see here is a picture of God's people who have experienced great grace, great freedom. They are getting a glimpse of God's promise, but rather than walking in faith and obedience to joy, they're walking in pride and stubbornness. And because of that, there is struggle, there is downfall. They are abusing their newfound freedom rather than going in to to, to feel the joy of God's promises. They are walking in stubbornness as stiff-necked people, unwilling to go the direction God has for them. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever thought, wow, God is is clearly uh, showing me that I should go this way, but I really want to hang on to this thing. I mean, I know I could honor the Lord by following Him this direction, but over here looks pretty good. Why can't I go this way? Why can't I do this thing? Why can't I try this thing? Why can't I live this way? Why? Because we, like Israel, are stubborn people. We wrestle with pride. So pride comes out in self-righteousness. Pride comes out in stubbornness. Pride comes out in rebellion. Verse 7 says, from the day you have come out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Now when I see that and I read this story, just think, how can people be rebellious against God? I mean, how can they see these miracles and signs and wonders and God is providing for them every step of the way, food and water and showing them glimpses of of the victory that's ahead? How can they be so stubborn? How can they be rebellious and buck against that? Then I have to pause and think, well, What's the condition of my own heart, right? How easy is it for me to rebel against what the Lord has, thinking uh, otherwise? So we see pride is displayed in this story. Pride is described as self-righteousness. Pride is described as stubbornness. Pride is described as rebellion. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29:23 says, "One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor." So we look at pride, self-righteousness, stubbornness, rebellion. How is that manifested in your life? I mean, the question is not if pride is in your life, the question is, how is pride manifesting in your life? It, it's in everybody's life. The default mode of the human heart is one of pride. In fact, pride is the root of the very first sin. You see in Genesis three, you know, with Adam and Eve taking pride, thinking that they know better than the Lord, and that is the first sin. It, it even goes back further than that. If you want to take it to a, a demonic level, is that pride is what caused uh, Lucifer to fall? You know, Satan himself, pride, thinking uh, that he is on equal uh, footing with the Lord God. So pride, how is it manifesting in your life? Because I think scripture tells us here very clearly that pride can be self-righteousness, pride can be stubbornness, pride can be outright rebellion. So what does that look like in your life? Because the bad news is it's in every one of our lives in one way or another. It may be uh, a huge, loud, big rebellion, or it may be a subtle, quiet, seemingly good, self-righteous attitude. We can see pride manifest in our work. We can see pride manifest in our families, in our marriages, in our friendships, even in our uh, spiritual uh, religious traditions. I mean, the thing about pride is it manifests in very good areas and just corrupts and twists them, right? I mean, it would very be very easy to say, well, you know, The Lord wants us to have good, strong, healthy marriages, right? That's a good thing. I hope and pray that all of us who are married are growing in our marriages, but pride will sneak in and say, well, you know, at least our marriage doesn't look like that, guys. Or, you know, our our marriage is healthier than so-and-so's. That's pride. That's taking a good thing and twisting it and, and, and being self-righteous in that. Or pride can manifest by saying, hey, and I, God wants our relationship to look this way, but you know, forget that. I'm going to go with what the culture says is cool and disregard what God has for us. Pride can manifest in the workplace. Like I said before, you can say, well, hey, things are going well at work because I'm such a good and righteous guy. right?" Or uh, I'm not going to do my business in an ethical manner, I'm going to kind of do it in a different way because, you know, I can outsmart the system and make more money this way. That's, that's pride in the form of rebellion. It can manifest in the areas of family, raising your children, how you school your children. It can manifest in ways, uh, you know, if you take pride when things are going well for your kids or, or whatever, it can manifest uh, by, uh, across every line. But see, the bad news is it affects everybody, but the good news is that in Christ we have redemption. C.J. Mahaney, in his great book, Humility, it's a small book, and I recommend it to you. Humility, true greatness. He says this, Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence on Him. So what does pride look like in your life? In what areas are you aspiring to the status of God? Or in what areas are you refusing to acknowledge your dependence on the Lord? Does pride manifest in self-righteousness? Does pride manifest in stubbornness? Does pride manifest in rebellion? Because we see that is what happens to God's people, Israel, in Deuteronomy. During the season of Exodus, as they are being led by the Lord to a land of promise. They are getting distracted by their own self-righteousness, saying, hey, we're getting this land because we're Israel, because we're righteous. And Moses is like, well, you have to remember, you are rebellious. I mean, even as God's leading you to freedom, you are rebelling against him. You are stubborn. It is not your righteousness, but rather God's grace. But the good news for us today is that in Christ, we die to our pride. So that we may live in God's promises. So I want us to look at how that plays out here, because the bad news is rebellion, stubbornness, self righteousness. That's all pride. But the good news is that God's promises are at work; that God makes good on His promise in spite of of, in spite of His people's sin, pride, rebellion. Look what happens here, as Moses reminds them numerous times: "It's not your righteousness. You are stubborn. You are rebellious." Look at what he says here in verse three. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you, so you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. You see, all of this victory, all of the joy, all of the goodness rides on the promises and the work of God. You see that? We can't skip that verse. We have to see that all of the good stuff coming down the line for God's people has to do with him, with with God making good on his promises and God being active at work for the good of his people. I'm going to read it again. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. God is going before them, right? He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. God is doing a work on behalf of his people even before they get there. So you will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. So God's promises manifest in his work on behalf of his people even before they get there. God makes good on his word. Look at verse 5. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That is a huge statement. You see, God is saying here, through Moses and his word here, he's tying this theme of redemption together. He's not just packaging His work and His his promises just for Israel. He's he's stringing it together for generations past and, and propelling it into generations future. For for this to be written down, he's saying, look, hey, God is doing this amazing work. He's made a promise that he would do this work. He is confirming the word that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He's saying generations ago, even, even before you existed, God had a plan to show his goodness and grace to you. Even before you were born, God had a plan to show his goodness and grace to you. In fact, even before your people were enslaved, Generations before that, God had a plan to bring you out of enslavement to lead you to freedom. God has been at work as he has promised for generations past. And this is awesome to me because I love. Anytime you read the Old Testament and, and you see that the writers will throw in God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we have to we have to think back to who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are. Who who are they? What did God do through them? It, it is it is the way of the writer tying this small story into the bigger story, the bigger picture of redemption. See, this is not an isolated incident of God saying, "Hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do you a solid and we're gonna we're just, I'm gonna give you this land real quick." It is showing the universal theme of brokenness throughout humanity and the universal theme of God always making good on his promises despite God's people's rebellion and stubbornness and pride and self righteousness. That's always the case. God always comes through. God always makes good on his promise. God is always doing a work on behalf of his people. That's good news. That propels us forward to the gospel. This is God. Given a foreshadow of what he would do for his people through Jesus, right? I mean, God has always done good for Abraham, even though Abraham had sin and pride and brokenness. God came through for Abraham. Same for Isaac, same for Jacob, now for Israel and the people that Moses are leading out, even through the first century disciples, even for you and I today. So what does this mean for us? If we're going to say, look, okay, pride is a universal problem. Rebellion, stubbornness, self-righteousness. God's promises are always, he always makes good on his promises. We see that God does good work, making good on his promises, establishing his word that he has done for generations past for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now for Israel, and we will see in the New Testament through Jesus for his people and even for you and I today. So what does that mean for me and you? How does this all make sense thousands of years later in Augusta, Georgia? What does it mean to die to our pride so that we can live in joy in the promises of God? This leads us to Jesus, and this is what I want us to see. Just as the land was not acquired because of Israel's righteousness, but God's goodness, so too you and I do not secure our identity because of our goodness and righteousness. Do you know that? You don't have to be righteous in order for God to love and accept you. In fact, you can't be righteous for God to love and accept you. Look what happens here. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.9 about Jesus who saved us. Jesus who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Wow, do you see that? Do you you see the parallels going on here? As Paul is writing, hey, the the work of God, the Lord himself has saved us. He has called us to a holy calling. That's great. Doesn't that feel good to be like, wow, you're you're part of something huge. You have a new identity. God has given you a new identity to be part of of his holy people. But you know what? It's not because you're righteous. You're not righteous. You're stubborn. You're rebellious. I'm stubborn. I'm rebellious. I'm prideful. But thank God that the gospel is it's not because of our works. You see that? If you've come in here today thinking, I want God to love me, uh I want to l- come to church today to learn how to do better and try harder so that God will love me, well here here is your here's your gospel nugget to take with you. You're stubborn, you're rebellious, you're self righteous. Because if you walk into a church saying, I have it within me to do better and try harder. I just need somebody to give me that list. That's a prideful statement, right? If you think that I can give you a list of do better, try harder isms, and you think that you can actually do all those things, it's a very prideful thing. It would be very prideful of me to think that I have such a list that you could do. I don't. But I do have the gospel truth that it's not because of our works. No matter how bad and rebellious you've been, no matter how stubborn you've been, no matter how good and righteous you've been. If your works are bad, if your works are great, they don't matter in light of your identity in Christ. They do matter later. We'll get there. Hold on with me. As far as your identity goes, God saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Uh, it's the equivalent of saying God is giving us this land as he has promised by his word, like he did to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before the ages began. You with me? So the good news for us, what it means for us to die to our pride, means we have to see that our identity not rest, does not rest in our works, whether they be very bad or very good. Our identity rests in the fact that God has called us to a holy calling, Not by our works, but because of his own purpose, his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, right? So that's our identity. That's good news. I think that's what we're seeing God show Israel here is, hey, your identity as my people does not rest on your self-righteousness or your rebellion or your stubbornness. It rests on my good work and promises to you. For you and I in Christ does not rest on our bad works or good works. So there's freedom in that, right? If you walk in here today and you're like, man, you have no idea how bad I've been. Well, God knows. And thank God that he calls you to a holy calling, not based on your wickedness, but on his goodness and grace to you. If you walk in here today and say, well, I've been a good churchgoer my whole life. Well, good. God does not call you to a holy calling because you're a good churchgoer, but he does it because of his own purposes and grace for you. It's very freeing. It's very joy and life-giving. But look what else happens. It's not only an isolated identity that we receive in Christ. It is a collective community that we are together. And this is important because we are Americans and we are individualist people. But there is a community at work here that God is calling. We see that God did not call just individuals out of Egypt. He called out vast Tribes of people, like families together to be a community. He was shaping them into a new community, Israel. They were not just, all right, I'm going to free thousands of people and everybody just go your own way and just figure it out, have fun. But rather God says, hey, I'm going to draw you out of bondage and as you go I'm going to shape you collectively to be my people, to be this new community, to be this large family of faith together. And as I lead you to this land of promise, whether you think you are wicked or stubborn or righteous, that is off the table. It is my goodness and promises to you. And collectively, you are going to be a new people living in a new way of life as my people. And this good news plays out for you and I in Jesus as well. Ephesians 2.4, Paul writes this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together. With Christ, by grace you have been saved. One of the greatest chapters in the New Testament for me, and this has changed my life. Ephesians 2 has just totally wrecked my faith in a good way. <laughs> right, Ephesians 2:4: God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love that. Verse 5 says, You've been dead in your trespasses. You know, if you were living a life of pride, you were dead. Pride is sin. Pride is a trespass. If you were living a life of pride saying, Look how good I am, you were dead. If you are living a life of self-righteousness and thriving in your stubbornness and rebellion, it is a life of death. It is a life leading you to destruction. But The gospel is we die not in our pride, but we die to our pride. We, we die to pride so that we can be free to live in the joy of the gospel of Jesus, living out the promises of God, the promise that God is rich in mercy The promise that God has great love, which he has loved us. The promise that even though we're dead in our trespasses, God has made us alive. The promise that God has made us alive together with each other. That God has made us alive together with Christ. That God has made us alive by grace. That we have been saved by grace. Those are promises of God. That's a promise for you in Christ. Don't let pride sneak in and say, you're saved because of your good works. That's a lie. And if you follow that lie, it'll puff you up in pride and it'll lead you to destruction and death. You will find uh, rottenness in your soul. You will find discord in your community with other believers. You will find stagnation with your purpose in life if you think everything is about what you do and how you do it. But if you can cling to this promise of God, there's no pride here. There's great humility to say, wow, I mean, just personalize Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 for you. Just say, God is rich in mercy because of the great love which he has loved me. He's loved me with his great love. He's loved you with his great love. He's loved us together with his great love. Even when I was dead, when I was dead on my trespass, man, name your trespasses there if you want to. If you want to get down and dirty, to see, it's not to cause you to despair, it's to cause you to see how great God's love is. You can plug in anything there. Even when I was dead in my pride, when I was dead in my adultery, when I was dead in my drug addiction, when I was dead in my porn addiction, when I was dead in my foul-mouthedness, when I was um, dead in my drunkenness, when I was dead in my uh, foolishness with money, when I was dead. Just name it. Just list every sin or vice you've ever struggled with. Even when you were dead in that, God through Christ, by His grace, has made you alive. He has rescued you out of that. You are no longer defined by those struggles or sins. You have been made alive in Christ. It's a promise. Let's live in that. Wouldn't you rather live in that? I would much rather live in the promise that God has saved me by His grace, that by His grace I've been saved, that through Christ I've been made alive together, with you. Isn't that exciting? Everyone's like, that's the deal breaker, Jeremy. We're out of here. That's what's awesome about the gospel is all of us can bring whatever list of vices and sins and struggles, whatever self-righteousness looks like for you, whatever stubbornness looks like for you, whatever rebellion looks like for you, bring it and let's bury it together. You want to? But the gospel, we're not going to be dead in those things. We are going to die to those things and be rid of them. And we're going to live the life of the gospel together, knowing that we have been made alive together with Christ by grace. That excites me. In fact, I just want to just take a pause, and let's just go through Ephesians 2 for the next couple months. You want to, I kind of want to, but I'll just trust that you would read Ephesians 2. And read Ephesians 1, and read the whole book. Read the Bible. So what I want us to see here is Deuteronomy 9 shows us a picture of the human condition of pride, which is described as self-righteousness, stubbornness, and rebellion. The Deuteronomy 9 also shows the beautiful grace of God, that his promises are displayed through his work. He confirms his word from generations past to generations future, that that comes to full culmination in Jesus Christ for you and I today. So here's where we're going to wrap it up. What this means for you and I to die to pride and live in Christ also talks about our new identity, the new community we have together, but also there is a purposeful missional component that we, that we take with us. Right. Israel, as God was giving them this new land, was not just going to huddle up and say, all right, we we're getting this new land. Let's circle the wagons and let's just let's just be God's people. Right. They were going to move into this land to thrive as God's people, but also to display God's goodness to the nations. They were going to be a light to the nations. They were going to be a, a city on a hill, as it were, to show the cultures and nations around them, how good God is to show them what the promises of God looked like played out being saved by grace, being free to be alive together as a new identity and a new community. And so for you and I today, I want us to, to, to factor that in through, through the lens of the gospel, what it means to be saved by grace through faith in Christ together. We have this new identity, this new community, but we also have a new mission. There is a new purpose, See, when you are living in pride, your whole purpose is to serve yourself. If you are struggling with self-righteousness, everything you do about your life will be to show how righteous you are, right? I mean, just you, you, if your if your motivation in life is to be seen as a righteous person, you will make sure that everybody knows that you are righteous. <laughs> if you if your if your purpose in life is pride through stubbornness, will you were going to do your own thing your own way. Man, I am a rebel. I love punk rock music. You just name it. You wouldn't know it now. You're like, dude, whatever. You're a suburban dad with a minivan. Well, let me tell you, 20 years ago, I was pretty punk. And that spirit's still within me. I got this like little rebellion, just want to fight kind of thing within me. you know. So I have to check the stubbornness factor. So like, I'm reading scripture thinking, you yeah, know, I'm a very stubborn person. I'm very stubborn. So this resonates with me. So what does stubbornness look like in your life? Because if you're stubborn, you're going to want to fuel your own uh, way of living and justify your own way of life because you're, you're stubborn. If you are a rebellious person... The same thing that'll define your life. But in, in Christ, if we have been saved by grace through faith, which Scripture says is a promise that, that is true for us because God is rich in mercy with great love that He is showing us through Jesus, that even though we were dead in our pride, rebellion, self righteousness, stubbornness, even though we were dead in our trespasses, God makes us alive together. We have a new identity, a new community, we have a new way of living, a new purpose. We're like, we have a mission to live life, to show the grace of God to each other, and to the world around us. That, that's what we should do. That's how life should look. And, and what's neat about this, I was thinking this week, it, it kind of changes things. A pride, prideful life gives you an us-versus-them mentality. That's what pride will do to you. If you're like, well, pride means, well, I'm righteous, and they're not, it's, it's I'm, thank God I'm not like them, those dirty sinners, because I'm righteous. That's what pride does to you. The gospel will humble you and be like, man. I was once dead in my trespasses. I was once dead in that sin and that pride. I was once dead there. Thank God that I'm not now. I got to get the word out. I mean, do you have that desperation within you to those around you that do? Do you want them to know the good news of Jesus? Think about your coworkers. Think about those at your school. Think about those in your neighborhood. Think about those in your family. Those who who are clinging to self-righteousness, stubbornness, and rebellion. Maybe they don't know the gospel. We we need to have a desperation to get the word out that God is rich in mercy and that by grace we have been saved. That is the, the drum we must beat incessantly. Because there are plenty of other voices chiming in saying, be better, do better, try harder, be more righteous, do it yourself. There's a lot of self-righteous, religious, spiritual voices screaming that in this city. Likewise, there are plenty of cultural voices saying, man, go your own way. Be rebellious. Be stubborn. It's all good. And both of those voices are lies and devoid of the gospel. And God has saved you by his grace, by his love, not only so that you would grow and be alive together in Christ, but also that we could, we could be a voice to get the truth out there. So that when people say, hey, I'm just trying to do better, try harder, say, don't do better, try harder. Surrender to God who is rich in mercy and love, and by grace you can be and will be saved. When somebody says, well, hey, man, it's just, it's a cultural thing. This is some old school stuff. I can kind of go my own way, you know, American freedom, woo-hoo, stubborn rebellion. Just say, no, 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 no. God has something better for you than that. Don't sell yourself short. God has something so much better for you than that. That's why Romans 3.23 says, hey, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yay, such a despairing statement. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The best person you know, the worst person you know all on an equal playing field. That's why we can't, with the gospel, walk into a situation with an us-versus-them mentality. We can't say, those sinners, thank goodness our church is going to get a building downtown, that way we can get those sinners straight. We can't do that. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We're all a wreck. Now, what you do as a wreck is a different story. As a wreck, do you try to build yourself back up? Or as a wreck, do you say, hey, I'm fine being a wreck? Or do we say, man, God is rescuing us. We've got to tell everybody and show everybody what this looks like. That's what I'm excited about. I'm a disaster. God is good. It's the theme of my life right there. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I was ungodly. Thank God that he sent jesus to die for me verse seven for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die verse eight but god shows his love for us that while we were still sinners christ died for us that's a message that needs to get out there people i'm convinced that most your average church person doesn't even know that maybe you're here today and you've never heard that good news Hear it now, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Take that with you. And may it shape your identity. May it shape this community of faith together. And may it propel us to mission as we move forward in our lives and family, neighborhood, work, school. As we move our worship services and location to downtown Augusta, I'm just praying that that would be the hall that people would just see that. I don't want people to be like, "Well, wow, Redemption's a groovy church." I want people to be like, "Man, God is rich in mercy and love and gracious. He's showing." That's <laughs> Dream big with me. Let's pray hard that God would do something cool like that. You want to? Living a life of pride focuses on self and leads to destruction. Living a life of promise focuses on God's work and power and leads to life. So now I think we need to um, take that good news, meditate on it. We need to repent of pride and believe the gospel. What does pride look like in your life and how do you need to repent? Do you need to repent of self-righteousness? and turn to Jesus? Do you need to repent of stubbornness, and turn to Jesus? Do you need to repent of rebellion, and turn to Jesus? Something's there for all of us, myself included. But the good news is that God is rich in mercy. He loves us. Christ died for us. By grace, we have been saved. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you that you are good and holy God. We thank you that you are indeed rich in mercy. We thank you that Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived, died a death as our substitute, And, God, that you have rescued us by grace. I pray that you would shape us as your people, as individuals, as marriage uh, marriages and families, as a community of faith together, as missional communities represented here at Redemption, God, in the workplace and schools. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would uh, have a purpose and mission that honors Christ, that we reflect uh, Christ in all things. We pray this for your glory, for our joy, and that the gospel would advance. In Christ's name, amen.